we've looked some time at heaven last few meetings we've been in and and last week was uh, I know the majority of the time we were dealt with inner man which we're going to do again today but we were dealing with the inner man in regard to seeing the unseen and that's what we're going to get back in a little bit more again today as I say that I uh, made a couple or, or a presented a couple questions in these uh, teachings and they are, just to refresh your mind, how many's view of heaven is a slain lamb? How many, when you say heaven, do you think about a slain lamb? And the reason I ask that question or how many thinks of heaven and they think about heaven is my throne and You've heard this. If you've been here, this is, this is not anything new. But when John saw into the heavens in the book of Revelation, he saw a lamb as if he had been slain, having the seven spirits of God. And, and I present that to you to, to cause you to question. Sometimes we should question uh, maybe everything we've ever believed. We should question Question it before the Lord. I, I don't mean to just question it, but question it before the Lord. I, have we really understood of the Lord? Have we really heard of the Lord? Do we really know of the Lord? And, you, you know, because the Lord just thundered in my heart for maybe two years that the Scripture, Heaven is my throne. It's just like a thunder. The voice of the Lord in me just kept going off, Heaven is my throne. Heaven is my throne. And when God begins to speak in you, it's, to bring, it's always to bring you into a greater understanding. Always to cause you to see. Always call, to cause you to hear. To cause you to know. And, and really, when the voice of the Lord begins speaking to you, that's what you should run after. And, and I was looking for a Scripture, and I don't know that I, I have the exact one. But in, uh, in the Old Testament, he says in multiple places, incline thine heart. And that word incline, in other words, Paul says, set your affections. Paul says really the same, maybe the same thing in the book of Colossians. Set your affections, incline your heart, set your affections on the things of the Lord. The things that are above and not on the things of the earth. Because I was talking to Anita about this coming down the road today. A lot, you know, we, we uh, in the Pentecostal church that I grew up in, we, we would quote that every now and then, and I may have said this last week, bodily exercise profits little. And, and sometimes we'd adjust, we may be justifying what we're doing to our bodies. I ain't trying to say that, but we would use that scripture, bodily exercise profits little. Well, what kind of exercise profits then? And, and that word affection, set your affections, that word set your affections, if you look it up, means to exercise your mind. Now, how do I exercise my mind? I, I don't know that we, 
as believers really get a hold of how many scriptures deal with the heart and the mind. The heart and the mind of man. The heart and the mind of man. His heart and his mind. And, and then you have to ask yourself, when you look at all these scriptures, do you really understand your heart and your mind? Do you really, have you really got a hold of it? What is your heart? What is your mind? And, and we're going to peel that, hopefully that onion back a little bit more today. We're going to do a little refresher, move on a little bit more. But the heart, the heart's the center, the core. Even in the natural, the, the most important parts of the natural body are what? The heart, the mind, and I told you this, there's actually three parts, and the blood. And if either, any of those three are affected, I mean, there's other parts of the body that's important, but if any of those three are affected, you're, you're out of order, right? Your heart, your mind, your blood. So the heart and the mind, even in the natural, have just such a big part of you. Your heart and your mind. Because naturally, if your heart... You, you know, we, we have people have heart attacks. And their life ends many times with a heart attack. So their heart is out of order in a natural sense. And what the Lord is, is really impressing on me, really impressing me, so I want to really impress you, is that you understand the inward man. That you become aware that you are not just flesh, bone, and blood. Because, because when we talk about ourselves, and, that, and I'm not here so much to preach about ourselves, but, I, but right now that's where the Lord has me teaching, I, is when we talk about ourselves, usually we're talking about the natural man and not the inward man. And it's because as a man, and that's me, I mean male or female, as a man, our living has been bound to our flesh. We live most of our life bound, Bible calls it married, to our flesh, one with it. So, so we don't discern even our inner man. But yet we have all these thoughts, you, you, you know, in our mind... Have you, ever, have you ever laid awake at night because your mind is running? Well, you can't see your mind, right? But your mind is just running away. Have you ever, have you ever laid in bed? You can't go to sleep because your mind is going a thousand miles an hour. You can't see your mind. I can't see your mind. But you have a mind. I was listening to a brother... Uh, speak to a guy, I, I, you all may have seen it on Facebook, and I thought it was uh, quite marvelous. He was speaking to some kind of uh, professor or a very intelligent man that, was, uh, that had asked him something like, 
How do you believe? Where did God come from? That's what he'd ask him. Where did God come from? And and the guy, I, I, I can't tell his story, but I'll try, I'm going to try. The guy says something to the fact, your problem is you worship a God or you, you consider God as something that can be contained in your mind. Said, but I, I have a God, I serve a God that is far beyond the scope of my measly little mind. And he said, You try to put him into your mind. He, he, he brought in uh, what? He brought in matter, uh, time, and I think uh, space. Or, or, and he brought them all together. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And they all came into existence in God. In and he took it and he went into the natural computer. He said, "He said, you 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 think some little man or something is running around in that computer doing all those things? But you could believe in that little computer, but you can't believe in God." Was what he was, was saying, or even your own mind. And he got into the man's own mind, but, and, and that's where I want to get. I want to get into your mind. What the Lord you get in your mind? You have a mind for purpose. And the purpose is to know the Lord. Incline your heart to understanding. So, so as we look at this, I, uh, uh, let's go back to the book of Psalms. I, I wanted to read John 1 first, but we won't do that right now. Let's go back to the book of Psalms 51. Psalms chapter 51. And as we get ready to read this, I want to quote to you out of Psalms 8 and Hebrews 2. It says, What is man and God's mind toward man? I want you to, want you to consider this. What is man that thou art mindful of him? It says, Or the son of man that thou visitest him. And it goes through and says, Thou madest him lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and put him over the works of, it, of thy hands. But here, in Psalms 51, start at verse 1, to Psalm of David, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. How is it ever before him? Because he's conscious of it. He's aware. It's in his mind. It's in his heart. He's conscious. It's his consciousness. That's what he's talking about. It's ever before me. For against thee, thee only have I sinned and done that which is evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, here's what I want you to see. Thou desires truth, whereat, in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, will thou make to know wisdom. Where will God make to know wisdom? In the hidden part. 
So there's a hidden part of man. A part you don't see with the natural eye in man. And in that part of man, God has a desire for it. And He desires, and He tells you what He desires, He desires truth in the inward part. So inside of you, He desires truth. Now what we have to do is divine truth. And this word truth here is dealing with stability, steadfast. Always, like Paul says, always abounding in the things of the Lord, but being steadfast, unmovable. So, so as we... Now let's flip over to John 1, where we read last week. You say, Brother Wayne, that really doesn't go together. Well, we'll see. We'll see if we can't connect it. John 1, 43, it says, On the morrow, or the next day, he was minded to go forth into Galilee. John 1, verse 43. And he finds Philip, and Jesus saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom... Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. So they knew, like I said last week, they knew Moses and the prophets. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and Nathanael said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael come unto him and saith, saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these, and he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You shall see. Mark this. You shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. How? On the Son of Man. So how are the angels of God going to ascend and descend? On the Son of Man. And then flip over to Acts 7. Like I said, we're reviewing, we're going to review at least three scriptures, maybe more, but three here from last week. Acts 7, 51. And this is Stephen. And Stephen speaking to the Jews here. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised were at, in heart, so he's speaking to them of their heart, the condition of their heart, their inner man, their core. In heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which show before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers? who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. 
When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, now I'm going to stop right here for a moment. We're going to read the rest of it. Why didn't the others see Jesus standing on the right hand of God? There was more than Stephen standing there. So there was a whole group of people. They were getting ready to stone Stephen to death. And Stephen, how does Stephen see the heaven open and see Jesus standing on the right hand of God, but those around him evidently didn't see Jesus standing on the right hand of God? Well, the key is He being full of the Holy Ghost. How He saw Jesus was by the Spirit. He saw the heavens open. And what Jesus tell Nathaniel, Hereafter you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So here Stephen sees the heavens open. And he, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And, and that didn't stop the Jews, <laughs> did it? No, they were mad when he, when he told them that he sees the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him in one accord and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a man's feet, whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling up on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen, in the midst of being killed, was seeing the Lord. Now those killing him wasn't seeing the Lord, but they were there with him. And the difference of Stephen and those with him, Stephen was full, really. Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. And he said to those that are with him, you always resist what? The Holy Ghost. So the key to seeing the Lord was the Spirit. And they couldn't see the Lord Jesus because they didn't have what? The Spirit. They resisted the Spirit. So in order to see the Lord Jesus at the right hand of power, you have, it, it would appear here you would have to have the Spirit. And that's, and that's even what Jesus said, and we, we've talked about it a whole lot here lately. In order to see in the kingdom of God, you must be born of Spirit. If you're not born of Spirit, he tells Nicodemus, you can't see here. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. So that seeing is with the heart. See, see we, we've associated seeing the Lord with this, this eye. These eyes, right? And I think we're trying to look out the wrong eye. See, see the eyes 
in our head because we're so natural minded. Because we believe this shell is our life. We associate this all the time as us. We do. We, we associate our body as us, as, as who we are. Paul says, if any man have the Spirit of Christ, he's no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit. But how many of us associate our life as being in the Spirit? Probably very few sitting in here. Even though we sat here in spiritual teaching for years, we still probably associate our living according to the flesh, to the natural mind, man. And, and what we've got to come to is, is, is Ephesians. The eyes of the heart turn to Ephesians 1. And I, and I said last week, you really need to go back and read that whole chapter because it connects together. Because Paul, Ephesians 1.15, Paul says, for this cause. What cause? Well, what he, wrote, what he just wrote. What he just said. So if I don't go back and read what he has just written, I don't know what the cause is. Get a hold of this. We read words a lot of times, and we don't... That's what we do. We read words. We don't digest them. We read them. We don't... That's a... I probably never said that before. Digest them. Right? So, so for this cause... For what cause? Go, let's go backwards a little bit. I've got to pull it up in the Scripture. I've got it in my notepad. So Ephesians 1, and we're at verse 15, and he's telling you, for this cause he bows his knees to the Lord. But, it, but the cause that he's written up above, that we would... You know, you go back to the beginning. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, verse 3, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. For that cause, that He's blessed us with all heavenly blessings or spiritual blessings, we're at in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Even as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world. Where, was, where did He choose us at? In Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before Him in love. So He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So that's what calls Paul has in his heart. Is Paul has the calls that that, that God had ordained us unto adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto Himself according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved in whom we have a redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence make making known unto us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which He purposed 
in Him unto a dispensation of the fullness of times to sum up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. Where at? In heaven and on earth, in Christ, in Him I say, in whom also we were made a heritage. That's in whom also we. We were in Him. Having been foreordained and according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His will. So God foreordained it. So before it ever came about, God had ordained it. God had desired it. God had wanted it from the time He made man. He was after man in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, He chose us in Christ. See, there's, there's kind of two schools of thought when you get into that, let's say, more depth of the Scripture. One school of thought was that man was in Christ and fell out of Christ. That's one school of thought. If you go, go around listening to different ministries, you will hear that. The other school of thought was he was purposed for Christ, but wasn't in it. I lean to that. Okay? It's kind of like leaning to a Republican or a Democrat. I lean this way. Alright? That's, that's where I lean. That, that Adam was purposed for being in Christ. He was made for being in Christ. So, so, so from the time He was made, God's mind was Him in Christ. From the very moment He was made. From the beginning. That's why the Bible says in the beginning was the Word. Because in the beginning, when God said, let there be light, the Word was there. So God was looking from the beginning at the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That Word means the logos, the thought, the mind. All God had ever considered was in the beginning. And so, so down through the course of time, God was going to bring forth what He had considered from the beginning. And this is what Paul was crying out that the eyes of their hearts be enlightened. See, see, Paul had a cry for the church way more than getting up on Sunday morning and coming to church. He had a cry in him that you might see. See, see, if I sit here in a building, I don't care if it's got 500 people in it or 10 people, and I don't come to see, then I don't come to purpose. I miss the purpose. My, my purpose is not even to assemble in a building. We assemble in a building toward the purpose. The reason we should want to assemble is to know. See, see we, we, we've been so schooled in church, most of us, in, in what we've called church, that, that we, we've missed the knowing of the Lord. That salvation is the knowing of the Lord. 
That's what salvation is. That all shall know me from the least. He said, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And all shall know me from the least to the greatest. So, so I'm just going to use Andrew for example. I'm, I'm using for example. So I know these really think through the least, Andrew. They say, Andrew's the least and I'm the greatest. Or we say, Bob's the greatest. So from Andrew to Bob, all will know. That's God's mind. What is God's mind toward you? That you know Him. Not that you have a religious understanding, but you know Him. So if I come up short of knowing the Lord, you know who that's on? That's on me. That falls on my shoulder. We like to say that. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of men like that. That falls on your shoulders. Well, this falls on your shoulders. If I'm going to know the Lord, I have to incline my heart. So see, my heart will basically take me everywhere but knowing the Lord. Do you know that? It really will. So I, I have to get a hold of my desire. Because my desire, my desire in, of, in and of itself, really... Really, even as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, I can find a lot of things that I would like to do. A lot. And a lot of times I do. Because you find pleasure in them for a moment. Whatever kind of pleasure it is, you find pleasure in things. For a moment. But you don't find satisfaction. See, see well, uh, you know, so, so you're not too religious on me this morning. Most of us to hurt the song for Big Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. That's a true, that's a true reality of the heart. I mean, that may be a big rock and roll song, but that's a true reality of the heart of man. I can't get no satisfaction. Because the satisfaction of the heart is only found with the Lord. And that's why Mick and all of his millions couldn't find satisfaction because he's finding it in, in stuff. And he probably has yachts and cars and everything you can imagine to the natural mind of having. He really probably does because he's made that much money. I've looked him, looked up his wealth. I think he's in the five, six hundred million dollar range, or maybe more. So he's a very wealthy man. But satisfying the heart, the inner man, is the Lord. That's what you were created for, was to know Him. So if I don't come to a place of knowing Him. I don't reach purpose. I really don't. I'm not satisfied. Not satisfied in this church, so to speak. 
And I won't be satisfied in the next one I go to because purpose is knowing the Lord. That's, that's the aim and the goal that, that we must go to. And so Paul, Paul is praying for this cause, having heard your faith in the Lord Jesus, which is among you. Back to verse 15. And the love which you showed toward the saints. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the law. So it's not enough to just say, I've got saved. There's a lot of teaching that tells you that's enough. So Paul says, after I've heard of your faith, so he, he says, and your love, not just your faith, but your love to the saints. So he acknowledged their faith in the Lord. He acknowledged their love. And he says, I see stop to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that God would give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes what I so here we're coming to see. The eyes of the understanding. Having the eyes of the heart enlightened. The King James says eyes of the understanding. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That's why Stephen could see Jesus standing on the right hand of God and those others could not. <coughs> Because he had a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of the Lord. His eyes were open. His eyes were open. The eyes of his heart. And see, the church, the believers, the church, a lot of their eyes, a lot of their eyes are dull to the Lord. You say, brother, ain't that ain't true. I show you Scripture upon Scripture after Scripture where Paul's, Paul is dealing with the church and in places he's telling them, you are yet carnal, you walk as men. If you're carnally minded, that's because your eyes are not seeing the Lord. The heart. And he says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So, so if you don't, if you don't have, if your heart's not enlightened, what don't you do? You don't even see what the hope of the calling is, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what the exceeding exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe, according to the working of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his own right hand in heavenly places, or in the heavens. So if my eyes don't become open, I don't see this. I really, I, I read it, but I don't see it. I don't understand what he's talking about. I just read this, this Scripture. And I just go back to my religious idea, or my belief, 
do. That's, that's what we do. That's, that, that's what most of Christianity today does, is it has a religious idea of God. I, I'm not even talking about sin. I'll go back to my understanding. And I'll sit there. Because my eyes are not open to His hope. My eyes are not open to the riches of His inheritance in the saints. My eyes are not open to what He wrought in Christ Jesus poured up when He raised Him from the dead. See, that was, that's Paul's pride toward the church. That they come to see. That they be enlightened. So there has to be a seeing of the Lord in the heart. A revealing of Christ in you. There has to be a revealing of the Lord in your heart. So you come to realize you're, you're more than a flesh, bone, and blood man. That you have an inner man. We, we talked about it last week. Uh, Peter, is, and you can look it up, First Peter 3. He's, he's dealing with the, with the ladies there. And he speaks of the hidden man of the heart. A meek and quiet spirit before God is what he calls it. So inside of you is the heart, the inner man. And in the heart is where you know God. You don't know God out of your flesh. That's what religion taught. Religion has taught us that someday we're going to know the Lord. Paul says that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened he was praying for them right then, about 2,000 years ago, that the eyes of their understanding be enlightened in the knowledge of Him. Right then. So, so, so it's a right now reality that God wants to bring you into of what He did in Christ. Because He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. So should you know it? If He chose you there before the foundation of the, of, of the world, it's probably God's mind that you know that. It's probably God's heart that you know that. It's probably God's desire that you know that. And we've read that for a long time, many times. What is God's mind toward man? Here it is. Here's His mind toward His creation that He created, that they might know the hope of His calling that they might know the riches of His inheritance in the saints. That they might know. So, so if, I, if I'm going to know, I've got to know inwardly. I've got to be enlightened. Because if I'm not enlightened, I won't know. Let's, let's go to another Scripture here in uh, 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter, I believe I want three. Yep. And here we're dealing with uh, again. This this is 
something you almost need to read the whole chapter. Here we're dealing with uh, the old glory and the new glory. The glory of the law and the glory of the Spirit. That's really what 2 Corinthians 3 is dealing with. Verse 11 says, For if that which passes away was with glory, much more that which remaineth is in glory. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness of speech, and are not as Moses who put a veil upon his face, that the children of Israel should not look steadfastly on the end of that which was passing away. But their minds, this translation says, was hardened, calloused, blinded. If you look at the word, it means calloused, blinded, hardened. Their minds were blinded, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. So there's a veil upon the heart, upon the mind, a veil. It not being revealed to them that it was done away in Christ. So the veil was done away where at? In Christ. But when they when he's speaking to the to the Israelites that haven't received the Lord, and he's saying that those, whenever they read the law of Moses, they're still sitting there with a veil of reading of some reading something that has been abolished, been taken away, been done away in Christ. It not being revealed to them that is done away in Christ, but into this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lieth upon their heart. But whensoever it shall turn to the Lord, that's the heart. When the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's done away in Christ. The veil that's upon mankind is done, has been done away. But whensoever it shall turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord, now who's the Lord? The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unfelt veiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed. How are you transformed? Beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. So you're transformed by the Lord who is the Spirit. When the veil that's upon your heart is removed. See, that's why Paul was praying that the eyes of their heart be enlightened in the knowledge of Him that they can be transformed, that they can be renewed, that they can be made what God desires, that they can have proof in their inward parts. And really, if I, if I want to take this, go back to Isaiah 25, and this is something to really search out here. Go back to Isaiah 25, verse 6. And I want you to really listen to this. I, I, I think I'm in the New American Standard, the translation I copied, I think. But it says, Isaiah 25, 6 says, The Lord of hosts will pre pre prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. 
a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all people. So there's a covering over all people. Where, where did that covering come from? That's where I want you to search out. Even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So here, Isaiah's prophesying or speaking of a veil that's upon all the nations of the world. Not just the Israelite, but on all nations. You ever thought about that? The, that veil, and he, and he said, and he speaks of the Lord, he said, He'll swallow up the covering which is over all people. Well, what did we just read in 2 Corinthians 3? The veil which is done away, we're at in Christ. The veil. Could that be simply the carnal mind? Could that be the veil that's upon all mankind is the natural mind? Something to search out, right? Something to look at. I'm saying search it out and see. So, so we 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 find there's a veil that's on all that that's that's covering all men. And and in Ephesians four, I'm just going to quote it, and we'll we, we may turn to it in a moment. But Paul tells them not to walk that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk. We're at in the vanity. We're at other mind. How, how can they walk if they're a believer still yet in the vanity of their mind because they haven't been enlightened to the knowledge of the truth? So if I'm not enlightened to the knowledge of the truth, guess what I'm going to walk in? My own mind. My own ways. So, so I'm going to associate with God to the best I can. scriptures a lot. You have the mind of Christ, Paul writes, that He might instruct you. So I've been given the mind of Christ to know the things of God. I've been given His mind that God can make it known. So God swallowed up, you know, just as Isaiah said, He's going to swallow up the veil where did he swallow it up? In his death. 
in the death of Christ, he swallowed up the veil that was upon all people. And now that veil was done away in Christ, and in, in Hebrews, Hebrews tells us this, the veil of his flesh that he had made a way for us into the very presence of God through the veil of his flesh. Hebrews 10, flip there. And we won't be much longer, but flip here to Hebrews 10. I'll just have to get back on this at another time and just walk a little bit further. But Hebrews 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places, that's the holy of holies. If you go back and you read this whole chapter, and you actually actually go back and read that whole book, but you know he's speaking of the holy of holies that therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, or the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way, that He opened for us through the curtain, or through the veil, that is His flesh. So He opened the way into the holy of holies, through His flesh. In fact, it says when He died, what was rent? The veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. When Jesus died, who's ever read that? In the book of Matthew, you don't believe it is. Maybe Luke and Mark as well. But maybe John. But when He died, that veil was torn open. What does that signify? That the way into the Holy of Holies, what was in that place? That holy place signified the presence of the Lord. So when Jesus died, He rent the curtain. The curtain was rent so that through the offering of His body, we could have access into the very presence of the Lord. I was reading one commentator that was basically saying, you know, kind of saying, you know, that ain't, that ain't right. And I was like, man, you don't know how wrong you are. <laughs> Because he was associated with when you die and get to heaven. That was his association that Jesus had made access for us to have entered the presence of God when we die and get to heaven. What he was associated with. That's what we've been told. But we have access by one spirit, Paul writes, unto the Father. See, Israel didn't have access to the Father. A high priest once, one time a year, would go into the Holy of Holies and give the, lay down the blood and come out, right? So Jesus, through the offering of His body, has opened a veil that we could walk in the presence of the Lord. And while we're right here on the earth, we could walk in the very presence of God. That's your salvation. Is that not just when you physically, when your body goes back to the dust that you know the presence of the Lord? But right now in the earth, as you're living, breathing, and moving in the earth, you could have access to the Lord. Yes, sir. That's that's what he rent. That's that's what he ministers as a, as a high priest over. He opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest. Great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith. Let us believe this. Let us believe we have access. Is that what Jesus said? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That's what He said to believe. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then He went on to tell them that that day ye shall know that I, I am in the Father. I, the Father is in me, I am in you, and you are in me. So there's an access being granted into the Holy, holy of Holies. Now, now I, I, I mentioned Ephesians 4. Flip back to Ephesians 4 for a moment. I mentioned it a while ago. Let's flip to it. And we'll probably end right here, but I've got to read it. So Paul writes in verse 13, Till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a full-grown man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4.13 Till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a full-grown man and to the measure of the stature of how much of Christ the fullness of Christ, that we be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and craftiness after the wiles of error, but speaking truth and love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom all the body fitly framed and knit together through that which every joint supplies according to the working of the due measure of each several part, maketh the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord. Who does he testify in? The Lord. That you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk. How do they walk? As I quoted this while ago. In the vanity of their mind. What does that mean? being darkened in their understanding. Darkened in their understanding. So if I'm darkened in my understanding, what does that do to me? It tells you right here. Alienated from the life of God. So if I'm darkened in my understanding, guess what I am? I'm alienated from the life of God. And, and that's what Paul said to him. That... that that you grow up in the full stature of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, the full stature of the knowledge of the Son of God. The Son of God knew God was in Him. Did He not? Jesus walked around with an idea that the Father that sent me is with me. I'm not here alone. He's with me. The works I do are not mine. They're His. He's in me. So, so, so if I'm going to come to the stature and the knowledge of the Son of God, I'm going to come to a reality that God is in me I'm not going to be ignorant from the life of God. See, see, if I'm a child in the Lord, I can be ignorant from the life of God, even though the life of God is in me. I'm ignorant. I don't know it. My understanding is dark. That's what Paul's prayed for illumination in the church, that they know, that we know the Lord, that we come to know not, not just a little bit, but the full measure. The full measure. That's a lot. That's a lot of Jesus to know if you know the full measure. For in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, so if I know 
the full measure, I know all God is. <laughs> and 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 that's that's a lot to know, and and I and maybe that's a corporate knowing, because it's a corporate body. But we come to a knowing, a reality of who God is, not alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling gave themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's why he said, don't be like the Gentiles who gave yourself over to work lasciviousness. Don't walk in the vanity of your mind, being ignorant of the life of God. And he says, but you did not so learn Christ. You didn't so learn Christ. What, what, what's it mean? If so be that you have heard Him, if you have heard Him, and were taught in Him, even as the truth is in Jesus, what truth's in Jesus? That you would have proof in the inner part. What truth is here? That you put away as concerning your former manner of life. The old man. You do what? You put away the old man. You're no longer an old man. Put him away. You're not, you're not an old man. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're not an old man at all that waxes corrupt after the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So that your mind, your spirit is renewed to the Lord by the Spirit of God. And you put on what you put on. The new man. That after God have been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So, so Paul says, this is the truth that's in Jesus that you put off the old man. How many believers have put off the old man? In their mind. In their heart. I mean even us that, that have talked along these lines for years. How many really have the old man put on? That we not walk not after his mind. See, your salvation is a whole lot bigger than, than getting out of sin and, and getting over here. Your salvation is putting off the old man. So when I learn Jesus, I begin to learn the old man is put off I no longer live to Him. He's no longer my life. What's my life? I'm a new creation created of God. We're at in Christ Jesus. So my life is now in Christ Jesus. That's my life. So I no longer live after the flesh. That's what Paul says. We no longer live after the flesh because by the flesh we don't understand Christ is our life. Because by the flesh all we understand our life pertains to is this outer shell. Do you realize that? But by the Spirit we are quickened 
to the reality that He's their life. We're made aware. We become aware that God's hope and calling was in Christ before the foundation of the world. That He chose you in Christ before the world. Before the world He chose you in Christ. And the cross was how He got you there. Because the cross in the cross was the death to self-life. Because that, that, that's where we live is self-life. See, 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 there's, there's a picture of the cross of our sin. But there's a picture of a cross that's dying to self. That self-life is cut off. That we will no longer live unto, unto ourselves, all right. But we would live unto him that died for us and gave himself for us and rose from the dead. So our living would be to Christ. So if he's my life, then then I need to pursue my life. Right? I need to get after my life. If Christ is my life, then I've got some pursuing to do because how much of Christ do I really know? The Bible says Christ your life. But is that real to you? Well, how's it going to get real? You're going to have to pursue it. That's what's going to, going to have to take place. You're going to have to pursue it. You're going to have to have a heart to want to know. See, if you don't have a heart, if you if you don't want to know, you don't worry, you ain't going to. That's the way everything with God is. If you don't want to know God, don't worry, He won't make you. Right? He doesn't make He doesn't force anyone to receive Him. So even in the basics of salvation, of receiving the Lord, if you don't want to know the Lord and you want to live into lasciviousness, He'll give you over to it. What he says. So he'll just give you over to it, and you'll be lascivious. You'll you'll live in all kinds of greed and all kinds of filth. You will, because he'll give you to it. But if you want to know the Lord, you receive it. So, in fact, when we first receive him, I don't know how much we 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 say, "I want to know the Lord." I want to get saved. I don't want to go to hell. That's, that's a lot of our, our mind is just, you know, save me from this mess I'm in. A lot of people get saved because the mess they're in. Bro Stanley mentioned that in the book of Psalms, and it deals over and over about it. It was mad. So we make a lot of messes, Jim. And when we make a lot of messes, they just call them the Lord. Man, I'm in a mess. Come and save me out of my mess. And then, and then you, you get the children of Israel, God become stable, and they walk a while like they were after God, and He told them, He said, But your heart's not after me. You're, you worship me with your mouth, or you speak of me with your mouth, but your heart, because God knows 
the heart. The heart, not answering. So, so, so somewhere they have to, you know, he's after a heart that wanted to know him. And so, so I believe he saves us even, even sometimes when our heart's not even really after him. We just want him to save us from our mess, get us out of this. We believe he died for our sins, and I'm a sinner, and I'm going to go to hell. So save me from the Lord. But that, that, but we don't necessarily wake up the next day and say, "Oh, that I might know you." Do it. Now we may go our whole Christian walk with just let me make heaven my home. But the dealing of the Lord—that's not the dealing of the Lord. The dealing of the Lord is that I might know Him. That my heart, my mind, my soul, my inner man might come to a knowing of Christ. That's what the dealing of the Lord is about. To know the Lord. That I would walk in the earth in the knowledge of the Lord. That I would have real bread to give to the hungry. And it, it is a pursuit of the heart. I don't know how to say this, but to say to you, you're not going to get it if you don't pursue it. It's not going to just happen to you. You must pursue. I think there's too much teaching out here that's telling God's people you don't have to do nothing. Now, I'm not into preaching clothes and this, that, and other. You know me better than that. And I'm not going there. But there has to be a pursuit. You have to have a pursuit in you that wants to know the Lord. And if you don't have that pursuit, that needs to be your prayer. Create it. David said, create in me a clean heart. God, I can't even make my heart clean. You clean my heart. Create in me an upright spirit toward you, Lord. Make me steadfast after you, Father. Give me a heart to know You, Lord. Make that my living. Make that my existence that I might know You. Make that my pressing. I press toward the mark. I want this prize. To know You, Lord. Because everything else just won't get it done. That's the heart. That has to come. And I'm, I'm done with the lesson. I'm going to say just a couple more things and, and be done altogether. But I'm done with the lesson.